Welcome to Focused on Forward. The purpose of this podcast is to focus on recovery from life situations, be it a disease, chronic or acute, perhaps the loss of someone so dear to you in death, or a change of life patterns that has affected you so profoundly that you have no choice but to find your new normal and become focused on moving forward. Each episode is designed to show the positivity that people bring to each and every one of their stories, the successes they've had, ways that they have become so definitively focused on moving forward. We look forward to sharing their stories, and we hope that they inspire you just as much as they have inspired us. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Good afternoon and welcome to Focused on Forward. I'm excited today to bring you a really cool guest. Her name is Liz Priestley. And Liz uh, is going to talk to us in a few moments about a movie that she is bringing to the big screens and uh, with really cool co-stars. And, you know, it's a story that I didn't know was a thing, but I can't wait to see it. I'll be honest with you guys. And so when she talks about this in a few minutes, you guys are going to be really, I'm hoping you're as blown away by the concept and the idea of the movie as I am. I think it's fantastic um, and phenomenal. Uh, But in the meantime, what we're going to talk about is Liz's journey through life. And we're going to pay attention to the struggles, not only mentally, but emotionally that she would had to go through as an actress to get this movie off the ground for all these years that she's been working on this uh, and how that played into her own her own uh, mental health and well-being. So we're really excited to have you on today, Liz. Thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you guys for having me. I'm so excited for this. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do here is uh, I'm going to let you go ahead and uh, start off, tell your own story, and I'll jump in from time to time with some questions, okay? <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, I mean, my story, it probably starts out the same way most actors' stories are. You know, I got bitten by the acting bug when I was a kid, and I... Just, I was fascinated with the idea that you could play pretend and make a living doing that. And I, as soon as I found out that that was like a job, I was floored by that. I was like, wait a second, we get to play pretend and I get paid to do this? Yes, that is the job for me. So um, from about age seven onward, I knew that that was what I wanted to do. And very specifically, I knew I wanted to make movies. I have older siblings and I got to see them perform on stage in like high school plays and stuff. And that was really interesting to me. But even then I knew, I was like, there's a difference between being in front of a live audience and being in front of a camera. And I wanna be in front of a camera. Um, So from, yeah, from age seven up through now, it's been a pursuit of that dream. Um, but you know, life happens. And so along the way I had a few, you know, detours, pretty significant ones. Um, and, and looking back on it, I mean, I'm grateful that I had them, but at the time they definitely took a toll, um, mentally and emotionally, as you said. Um, it's funny because, uh, where I live here in Philadelphia, most people who know me know me as a musician and a singer, and they don't really know me as an actor. And that is because uh, around the same time that I got the acting bug was about the same time that I started playing uh, instruments. I started with violin and I kept that up for about 18, 19 years. Um, I still play, but not, not, not as well as I did. I can, I can pull it out for an audition here or there, but Um, that started my journey with my love of music. And, um, so yeah, I started violin. I added piano around age 10. And then in high school, I, uh, decided I wanted to try singing and I decided to study, uh, classical opera. And it turns out that singing was out of everything that I was doing, singing was the stronger, talent of mine. And um, so it became very clear, at least to my parents, that, you know, music was was an avenue I could choose to go down as well. Um, But I still had that part of me that was like, you know, music is a really fun hobby, but my passion is acting. And that is something my parents, it took them a very long time 
to understand and to come to terms with. So uh, we had, I don't want to say arguments, but we, we had some significant conversations. I'll discussions. Say. Yeah, discussions. very, very intense discussions, um, particularly when uh, it came to uh, the end of high school, going into college. What are you going to do with your life? You know, at that point, I was ready to just pack the car full of Tupperware and drive out to LA and just try my, <laughs> you know, try my luck. Uh, fortunately, my parents stepped in and said, absolutely not. We're not, no. <laughs> they kept all the um, lids that would have matched anyway, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, it would have been tough. It would have been tough. Uh, so, yeah, my parents were like, no, you can't do that. You've got to go to college. But, you know, we think you should study music. You have this gift. And, and, and truly, um, again, as an adult looking back, I can appreciate the unique circumstances that I was in. Here I was, this little, you know, African-American kid in the suburbs studying classical opera. Like I stuck out like a very sore thumb. And, um, you know, and I, and it wasn't just that I was studying, it was that, you know, I was winning scholarships. I won awards. I uh, was performing at places that, you know, people twice my age had never, you know, performed at. So um, I can certainly see why music was, was heavy in the discussion. I had won a scholarship to Settlement Music School to study. And um, through that, I competed and won the Mario Lanza Award here in Philadelphia, which is a big, uh, it's a big music award. Um, I got to sing the national anthem at George Washington University the year that my sister graduated from law school. Cool. Um, yeah, it was, I mean, I got to sing, you know, the national anthem at an Eagles game. Like it was, all these opportunities were coming left and right. The coolest of which was I got to meet and take a class with Audra McDonald, who is a Broadway star. Okay, um, yeah. And, Similar to me, you know, African-American woman, uh, classically opera trained and in this kind of musical theater world at a time where there weren't a lot of people who looked like her or sounded like her. Um, so, and I got to meet her and I got to sing for her and I, I got to see her perform and it was really cool. So, um, yeah. And, you know, I also, I should mention this, I did, I grew up in a religious household. So uh, there was that aspect of, we don't want you to waste your God-given talents. And, you know, so I had a lot of, uh, I struggled a lot with the guilt of, but this is what I feel passionate about. And this is where my talents are. So it was this sort of, um, at that point in my life, it didn't seem like the two were in the same place. And so I had a lot of guilt and struggle about well, where sure. do I go? What do I pursue? Um, sure, especially if you felt like they weren't running parallel to each other, they weren't yeah. assisting each other. Yeah, I could see that. So it was hard. And so I decided, I thought, you know what, I should, maybe I can compromise. I will go to school for musical theater. That way I get all of the training and no matter what happens, I'll be the most you know well-rounded performer and I'll have all of the training under my belt. So my parents said, okay, to that. So I went to Ithaca College and I studied and Ithaca's run like a conservatory where you have no other classes outside of your major. So it was all acting, all singing, all dancing all the time. And it was fabulous. And I'm glad I did it. At the time, it was really tough. They have a cut system there so they can cut you um, anytime during the first two years. And uh, so that was tough because I kept thinking, oh, gosh, that's it. I'm, I'm out of here. They're going to cut me. And then I'll keep you on your toes for sure. <laughs> yeah. And, it, you know, and they figured out really early on, oh, Liz is a student. We have to keep on her toes. Or, you know, if we tell her she's good, she's just going to rest on that and try to coast through. So we got to, you know, so they were they were tricky. All the first two years, they were kind of like, oh, I'm sure that was your best effort kind of oh, thing man. and I'd be like head Whoa. games <laughs> head games but they were absolutely right keeping me on my toes pushed me to to work harder because I didn't want to get cut so you know ultimately they were they were right but at the time it was stressful um but I graduated and I moved to New York 
and I was a I was a working actor. I was I was performing. I was doing shows, um, and then I got cast in a national tour, and I got to tour the country for six months, uh, performing in a musical, and everything was basically set. And I was like, "This is great. Everything's going exactly as I planned." And then I had a baby. <laughs> That'll change and a lot of things very quickly. That changed everything. I thought, you know, I, number one, I was like, I want to go home and be close to family because this is not something I've ever navigated. And I think I, I need mom and dad close by, you know? So I, I moved back home to Philly and um, I decided, you know what? New York is going to be there. I can go back whenever, but for now I'm going to, uh, be a mom. And that was a huge decision because as I said, everything was kind of on the upward, you know, path and everything was moving and things were falling into place. I had been, um, interviewed by a couple agencies in New York and people were interested in working with me. So it was a, you know, it was a significant, uh, deal to say, I'm walking away from all of that and I'm going to raise a kid. Um, but I did, I, I moved home to Philly and I thought, you know, I'll be here maybe two years tops and, you know, really get my, my feet on the ground and figure out what I want and I'll be good. We're looking at 13 years later and I'm still in Philly. <laughs> so a little, a little longer than two years, a little longer. Um, but it was, it was a great decision in hindsight. So yeah, I, I decided, you know, let me raise my child. So that was first and foremost. And then after about two or three years, um, I started realizing, hey, you know, Philly's got a really thriving theater scene, you know, let me check that out. So I started auditioning for plays around here and I started getting parts. And this is after stepping away, like I said, for about three years. So I, and I hadn't done anything in the three years. Um, so during that three years, you, you were just mom, just mom, just mom. mom. Okay. Yep. All right. And it was, and it was great. And, you know, I worked like a nine to five and just to put food on the table and do the whole thing. Um, and at this point I was still working nine to fives, but the funny thing is I was bouncing from industry to industry, just trying to find something that resonated as, as much as performing had. Um, and okay. so, yeah, I was working in offices. I cleaned. Um, I worked in the, I put myself through EMT school um, and was an EMT for two years. Uh, I worked in the restaurant industry, the trash industry. I've worked in, I've worked at a gym. I mean, like anything you could Kind of sounds like a, you name it, you did it. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. I tried everything and I really... The, the, I guess my mindset at the time was, um, look, I'm never going to be a full-time actress again. That dream is gone, but at least, you know, if I find something that maybe I can enjoy just as much, it won't hurt so bad. Right. So I tried everything. I mean, I worked in, I mean, I worked as a barista at one sure. point. I mean, I taught, I still teach now actually. Um, I, yeah, I was a teacher's assistant. I worked in insurance. I did, you know, just about everything. But when you um, found a, a love like that, trying to fill that void can be very difficult. It, you it know, because, miserable. yeah, because, yeah. yeah, because everything else that you're doing is only filling a portion of that void. It's yeah. not, it's, it's not topping it off like it would have on anything else. And so, that's when you develop unhealthy habits because you realize that the void is not being filled. So, you know, that's when you start drinking too much or you start, you know, hanging out with the wrong people and all of that happened. And it was, it was a depressing time because I really was lost and I knew it. I knew it. I was like, this is what I want to be doing, but I don't have the means to do that right now. So I got to do something else. And it just was like, whatever I tried, um, you know, initially for the first couple of weeks, it might be exciting because it's a new job, but then, you know, eventually reality, I would, yeah, I would find myself sitting there like, this doesn't make me happy. This is just, you know. Okay. So um, what were you trying to do during those times when you're trying to fill the void with these other projects? You said there were some unhealthy habits that mm -hmm. crept in. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, at a detailed level that you're comfortable with sharing, <laughs> uh, what were some of the things that, that 
you engaged in that you tried to distract yourself with? Well, certainly my alcohol intake went up. Uh, I can say that comfortably. Um, you know, I'm not someone who, who ever really had a problem with alcohol previously. Um, and I'm adopted. And so I don't know if alcoholism runs in my family or not. Uh, but it, I certainly noticed, uh, at, at least initially, when it became clear that, look, acting's gonna be on the back burner for now. You need to find another job that's gonna allow you to put food on the table and you know, pay your bills and all that good stuff. Um, I, I remember distinctly being like, uh, because I had gotten a small little one bedroom apartment, my daughter and I, my infant daughter and I shared a, a, a bedroom. And um, I lived right around the corner from uh, uh, like a wine and spirits. And I distinctly remember being like, gosh, I hope they don't look at me funny that I've been in here several times this week, you know? Uh, so that was the beginning of it. I definitely was very, very depressed. Um, and again, I don't know if any of this runs in my in my biological family. And this was one of the first times where I was like, it would have been very helpful for me to maybe have a medical history like that. Yeah, something, um, some type of. Chart, yeah, yeah, it was it was bad. I mean, at, at one point, I mean, I did I did get suicidal. I was depressed, severely depressed. Um, and I had a little bit of a suicide scare. For clarification, I never actually tried to commit suicide, but there was a point where I felt very, very low and I was scared for myself. So yeah, but off. considering it though, can be yeah. just as scary as-, as Exactly. You know, and that was that kind point. of, that was the wake up call was the fact that, oh my goodness, I'm sitting here considering it. You know what I mean? And and that to me, that was significant. So I made the call. Um, I called the National Suicide Hotline and I was like, I need help. I don't really know what's going on here, but I need help. And um, well, thank and you I was for doing to, that. Thank Seriously. you. Thank you. <laughs> no, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, that you did. There's there's. I, I, I want so strongly for people to realize and somebody wrote this on Facebook the other day, a good friend of ours, um, that suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Mm -hmm. And I, I that has stuck with me and resonated so strongly with me over the last little bit, uh, because I know of several people who have taken that route uh, yeah. because they felt it was their only route uh, yeah. at that time. Yeah. And, I, and I'm so thankful for everyone that I hear who did what you just did uh, and made that call. So thank you for doing that. I'm, oh, I'm glad that I have that. the opportunity to talk to you. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, this is about 10 years ago now looking back and again hindsight is always you know you look back and you go gosh i can't believe i was there i can't believe i did that but you know 10 years ago i i was a mess i mean i really just was very i felt so lost and like i said i mean i i knew what i had wanted to do since i was about seven so all of a sudden here i am and it's almost 20 years later and it's like I had no direction. I didn't even have training in other areas of life, you know, and I'm now I've got a baby and it's, you know, it was, it was, it was a dark time for me for real. And, and, um, ultimately I'm very glad that I made the call. I did do a, a voluntary hospital stay for about six days. And I'm very open with that. Anyone who knows me, I've talked to people about this all, I talk to them about it all the time because yes, there is a huge stigma around mental health. And when you're having these kinds of problems, there's a stigma about around talking about what can, what can happen or what you need to do to come out of it. Um, and I just think that's so ridiculous because it's sad frankly, actually. Yeah. Frankly, if I hadn't made that call, if I hadn't done that hospital stay, I don't know where I would be right now, or if, even if I would be here. Um, but it was, and, and, and I should clarify too, this was not the first time that I had um, been in therapy. I actually took myself to therapy when I was in college. I, you know, around then I started feeling sort of apprehension of like, what's going to happen after I graduate? I don't really know, you know, this is such an unstable industry that I'm trying to get into, like, well, you know, and so I, I started talking to someone 
then just because I thought maybe I should get a handle on, you know, how to deal with these feelings of anxiety and things like that. Sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. Develop coping mechanisms now. Absolutely. Coping mechanisms are so necessary. They're so necessary. And, and, you know, this is an industry where they'll say, um, you hear more no's than yes. So you have to have a tough, a tough skin if you're going to be an actor, because for every a hundred auditions that you go on, you're only going to hear one yes, which means you're going to hear 99, you know, no's. And, um, if you don't know how to handle that, you're not going to be able to last in this industry. Like you need to be able to do an audition, shake it off and move on. And a lot of actors, you know, they have their hearts pinned on this one audition and then it doesn't come through and it just destroys them. And I used to be that way. So yeah, there was a lot of anxiety that goes with this, with this handling rejection well. and yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, so, you know, I, I'm grateful that I, like I said, I'm glad I made the call. I'm glad I did the hospital stay. I got to, um, as part of my stay there, we did, you know, group therapy and it was really, it helped me put some things into perspective to really listen to other people who were struggling. Um, and some people who had much more severe struggles than I did in terms of like, you know, they have to be taking daily medication and I'm, you know, I, I take medication, but it's not daily type of thing. So um, so there was, a, it was an eye-opening experience for me, but it was really helpful. And I'm glad, you know, ultimately I'm very glad that I, that I was there. Although, you know, for my family, it was very, it was jarring for them. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, I called in the middle of the night and, you know, I, this is my only gripe about this whole process is that, you know, if you call and say, yes, I'll go to the hospital, they show up right then and there, which is great. Because if you're really in trouble, you need someone right there. Right then, right right now. But, but I but, was like, I'm not in immediate danger. It's also three o'clock in the morning. Can we do this maybe in like three or four hours? And they were like, nope. <laughs> and so, you know, it's like I had to have a parent come in the middle of the night to get my infant. And that was, it was jarring for them um, to be like, what do you mean? I have to come get your kid. And where are you going? You know, uh, but ultimately my parents were incredibly supportive and have always been very supportive. So, um, it was a good thing, but you know, after that, after I got out of the hospital, um, I actually, I moved back in with my parents for about a year and, and I was really like, I noticed a big change after I moved back in with them. I started, started working out and, you know, like just starting to get back into things. I started auditioning for shows in Philly and before you knew it, it was like I was booking one show and then another show and then another show. And at one point, I was doing so many shows back to back at the same time that I was in rehearsals for three different shows every single day of the week. So I had to have a schedule where it's like my parents could babysit like on Tuesday and Thursday. And then I had to have like a, a friend babysit on Monday, Wednesday. And then I brought my kid to rehearsals on Saturday, Sunday. It was crazy. Uh, but it was really exciting too, because I, I just started booking shows. Um, my biggest question up. for you on that yeah. is how do you keep three separate shows in your mind at one time? Because I'm assuming based on, on your, and I'm, I'm making a broad assumption here, so just go with me, yeah. uh, based on, on what you've told me of your history uh, with music theater, I'm assuming that there were some songs and perhaps uh, even a little bit of dancing in all of these shows and keeping all of that straight in your head is, I find to be incredibly impressive because I would have been like, you know, it was all over the place tricky and i do remember at the time my parents sort of going another show you're doing another one i'm like yes i am and they're like okay um it it helps when the characters are all wildly different so like at that time i was in one musical and then the other two shows i was playing a villain and um the other one i was playing a romantic lead but it was a straight play so um and then the third one was a musical so I was able to, when it came time to memorizing and things, I was like, oh, okay, this is that show. Oh, and this is the thing that goes before that song. Oh, and this is the time where I have to go in and yell at this girl. Oh, okay, you know, and um, I don't know. 
know the all the re all the rehearsals feel so different so um you know and like i said there were some shows where i was lucky enough to work with people who you know they had kids themselves and they would just be like oh yeah bring your bring your kid to rehearsal it's fine um which is really great too because you know my daughter is is a wonderful actress i'm biased but she's actually pretty good and, we're okay with um, that yeah. And so she, you know, she used to sit there and watch our rehearsals uh, if they were, you know, kid friendly. I remember there were a couple shows where I was like, OK, you cannot listen to this. So bring your headphones or bring your little laptop or whatever. And, you know, she would do stuff. Um, but it was definitely, you know, it was a blessing to work with people who said, yeah, I understand being a parent. Go ahead. Bring your kid. That's cool. Um, so that was lovely. But yeah, I, you know, I worried for about a split second about, oh, what if I get all these shows confused? And then I was like, whatever, I'm going to figure out a way. And then I figured out a way. Um, but it was wonderful. And so I kept that up for about nine-ish years. Yeah, just about. And then, um, and meanwhile, like I said, working my way through just every industry that I could, trying to find something, even though I was acting in the evenings, I was still like, I've got to do a nine to five. I've, I've got bills to pay. I've got stuff I need to do. And then, um, but I was, I was slowly, you know, putting some money away here and there, just a little bit here, a little bit there, you know. And then in 2018, um, March of 2018, I finally was like, you know what? I am at a point now financially where I could make a change. And if I decide I want to go, I want to do acting full time, I have now the financial freedom to kind of do this. So, um, so I was working as a barista and I asked a friend of mine, I I'd seen my friend at the time, my friend, I had seen him on TV and uh i said you have you must have an agent because you're on tv i see you in this commercial you must have an agent he's like, i have a manager i said do you know if she's taking new people he said i'll ask so the next day i get a call from his manager and she said why don't you come down and audition for me and i said okay and i go and i was nervous and at this point i don't get nervous for auditions anymore like they're just so they're old hat you know what i mean but i it's was something nervous. you you've become accustomed to because you've done yeah. them so often yeah i you know this point i'm very good at even now i'm very good at even if it's a part that i really really want i can go in do my thing and then i usually give myself about an hour to stress about it because i i've decided you can't just not like you can't just pretend like it didn't happen because that's just not realistic right no so it's not healthy myself, to swallow that down and keep that all by so you give yourself about an hour to be like, oh, I forget it. Oh, or like, oh gosh, I wish I had done better. And that's it. That's it. You leave it. And that's it. And that works for me. So yeah, but I was nervous about this, this one. I said, you know, I've never auditioned for someone strictly for, for camera work. All of my credits and everything that I've built up for the last nine years and really my entire life up until now has been nothing but stage credits. I have no film, no camera work, nothing. And that's what I wanted to do. And specifically, I said, you know, I'm going to meet this woman and I'm going to tell her I want to do camera work. And I hope she thinks I'm good enough. And I hope she's like, sure, there's something we can do here. So um, I auditioned for her and she was just like, yeah yeah like i want to sign you i want to work with you and i was like what so oh, that's cool yeah yeah so i signed with her and so that was march 2018 and i booked my first commercial in may of 2018 and i just started getting more commercial work and you know and that is a fabulous by the way if you do nothing but commercials that is a fabulous line of work in the industry because it's a lot of money um they're usually all very varied um i did a, a commercial for safe auto where in the commercial it's implied that we're supposed to be in a city that's like similar to like new york or whatever um but it was cheaper for them to fly everyone in the production 
to Uruguay in South America to double for New York than it would be to shoot in New York. So I got a free trip to South America to shoot a okay. commercial. I, I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. I'll just do commercials. This is awesome. You know what I mean? Um, I, can't, I can't even believe that that's a thing, that that would be the thing. They, they paid for, you know, my flight The they picked me up from my apartment, the flight and it's, you know, first class, because if you're union, then they have to, it's a certain class. So, and then I'm down there and they give you a per diem. So of course I went out, Uruguay apparently is known for their steak. I don't know what they're feeding their cattle down there, but we need to take note. It is, um, it's like melt in your mouth good like yes yes please i i i can't even like i just want to take trips to uruguay just so i could be like no try the steak <laughs> but um yeah like it's it's a fabulous uh it's a fabulous part of the industry i love it um but so that started happening i started booking commercials and then after a while uh you know i get a phone call and they say miss priestley you know you've done you've done X amount of commercials now and you need to, you need to join the union, which I had wanted to join since I was 12. Um, so they said, yeah, yeah, you've, you've done all your waivers. You need to join the union. I was like, oh my gosh. So I did that. And then I get a call in, um, July, no, June, 2019. Um, my manager called and she's like, oh, you know, I'm sending you an audition for a film. And I've auditioned for a couple of films. Oh, I have to tell you this too, before that. So after I'd done these commercials, I actually got, I got called for um, a TV show in New York. And I was like, cool. And I went up and I auditioned uh, twice. And it was so funny because I only had one line, um, but I auditioned twice and I got the part. And I was like, awesome. Well, when they send you the audition stuff, it's all in code and they give you an alternate name and you can't really figure it out. I had an idea, but I couldn't really figure it out. So then they send you the real thing. And I see Jessica Jones across the time. So I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be connected to the Marvel universe. Like I was floored. I was like, oh right? my gosh, I have a connection with Iron Man and like Captain America. Like, How cool would that be? Yeah. So I go up and they shot the show in Brooklyn. I did the show and I had a, I, I, I walked right by Kristen Ritter. Like we, we walked by each other. I was like, hello. She's like, hi. I was like, oh. <laughs> and uh, I had a, my scene was with Rachel Taylor who played Trish. And yeah, okay. uh, so we did our scene. We did the whole thing. And a couple of weeks later, and meanwhile, I, I tell everybody everybody and then a couple weeks later i get a call oh miss priestley we're so sorry we had to cut your part for time i was like <laughs> oh man <laughs> but they said um well the good news is um you can still audition for other marvel stuff because apparently you know if you do the one that's it you can't be anybody else in the universe because you know um, but they were like, you're still open for other Marvel stuff. And I was like, cool, I, sure. <laughs> you know, this is like pre-Black Panther. So I was like, yeah, get my get my info over to them, you know? Right. Um, right. Uh, but so then, yeah, shortly after that, I get, a, I get another script from my manager. She's like, it's for a movie. Uh, and I, I'm reading it. And it's like, all I see on my script is like, you know, this woman, she's a mother, 15 year old boy. And it's said in the script, it looks like she's lived a hard life. I was like, oof. Uh, <laughs> you know, and and then like on another page, I see something and it's like, you know, Black Cowboys, Philadelphia, something. And I'm like, oh, okay. And like somewhere over here in my head, somewhere, I remembered reading something or seeing something on the news about like Idris Elba, Black Cowboys, something. Right, and I didn't okay. connect the two thoughts at all. So I was like, sure. So I go in, I do my audition. And mind you, um, this was a part that I had never really been called in for before because I, I get called in for very upbeat. 
I talk, I call them Walmart moms or Target moms. You know what I mean? You know exactly as soon as I said <laughs> I it. Do. I, <laughs> I knew exactly what you meant. Yes. You know exactly. You know, it's the who's ready for school. I get those all the time. And that's fine. I can do those, you know, in my sleep. It's great. But this was not that. This was a this was a woman at the time of when I got the script sent, because it changed. Um she was uh, a drug addict. She was going to rehab. The scene that they gave me, she was being uh, thrown out of her apartment, um, like trash bags dumped on the sidewalk, thrown out of her apartment type of thing. Um, so a very gritty role com very, in comparison. Very. And, and, you know, like I said, it said she looks like she's lived a hard life. So I said to my manager, I said, is it all right if I go in there looking a little rough? And she said, yeah, do your thing. So I did, I, and I will say this, I stayed up for days at a time, like about three days in a row, no sleep. And uh, I like, I cried a lot off and on during those days. Cause when I cry, my eyes get extremely red and puffy. So I cried a lot, stayed up. I just ran the lines over and over and over again. Uh, my friend who introduced me to this manager, who is now my boyfriend, uh, he helped. We we just we stayed up and ran lines. Like I was like, "Come on, we gotta run lines again." He'd be like, "It's three in the morning." I'm like, "Time to run lines," you know. Um, and and then I used uh, makeup to give myself some really really dark circles and like a reddish nose and all that good stuff. And I went in with some torn clothes. I looked really. I mean, I looked bad. I looked really bad. Um went in, did the audition, did my thing, and I left. And I felt good about it, but I was like, you know, whatever. So then um, they call me like a couple days later and they say, oh, you know, you've got a callback for this part. And, um, you know, we're sending you three additional scenes. Make sure that you have them all memorized. So at that point, I'm like, well, that's unusual because, you know, normally I've gone to New York, all the way up to New York from Philly, just to say, what do you mean he's in the garage? Thank you. You know what I mean? Like, that's it. Um, so the fact that they were sending me four scenes was like, hmm. So then I start doing a little digging. And I, I finally see, you know, Idris Elba shooting a movie in Philadelphia about black cowboys. And I see a little more about, you know, Elba plays the father of a 15-year-old son. So I go back to my script and I see something about in my scene, you know, my 15 year old son. So I go, wait a second, hang on, <laughs> hang on. Uh, is this the same movie as the Idris Elba thing? And I, you know, I don't know if my manager ever knew and just didn't purposely tell me because she knew I'd be like anxious or if she just legit didn't know. Um, but that's when I kind of put together, oh, this is the son of Idris's character, which means I'm the wife of Idris's character. So at that point, I'm like, well, they're not going to give the part to an unknown. They must be looking for a stand-in for Kerry Washington, because of course they must be. So sure, sure, sure. I'll be Kerry's stand-in. Absolutely. Makes sense. So I, I immediately talked to myself out of the role i was like so you, they're just, not you gonna... discredited yourself and just said yeah, yeah i'm i'm I, there's immediately no way. okay i was like they, they, i'm looking at my resume and i'm like i have no film credits here and this is a starring role with idris elba no no they're looking for a stand-in and that's fine i'd love to stand in maybe i'll meet idris maybe i'll get to be on set for a couple of days it'll be fun so i go in i do the second audition and i leave and and same process mind you same staying up crying horrible process um and then like two days after that i get another call and they're like we want you to come in again and this time the director would like to meet you and i was like okay because that doesn't happen if if he's not interested so then they kind of let it slip that, well, there's a discussion happening but behind the scenes. Um, so as I understand it, at that point, the producers were like, 
we should get a name for this part so we can guarantee butts and seats because there was no p- pandemic at this point, you know. Um, so we should get a name. We should call Carrie. We should call, you know, Lupita. We should call, you know, all these other people. And the director was like, I've seen her tape. I want her. I'm going to Philly to meet her. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So that I was like, really? So I, I go in a third time, do my thing. I met the director and he shakes my hand. And then I left and I was like, I really want that part. Like now I really want it. I've been here three times. Like I want that part, you know? Um, uh, so it was a little harder for me to shake, but you know, and then like the day after that, I got the call that you got the part. And I, I remember the casting person, she called me directly at home and she said, you got the part. And I was like, Oh, thank you. went over my head like sure didn't, didn't you know that and that my, yeah and my parents were away on a cruise so I remember trying to call them and being like please call me I know you're in the middle of the ocean please call me back I have news you know and then they call me and I t- I said to them oh I got the part and they were like oh that's nice you know, like it did not register for any of us. Really Good on you. Way to go. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're all just like, oh my goodness. You got it. Cool. Awesome. You know, and then I was like, I got sent the script. I read the whole thing and I get a call and they say, hey, you know, Miss Priestley, um, I don't know if you've read the whole script by now, which of course I had but you need to be on a horse, which means we need to send you to horse camp. And that's when I freaked out because I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like, right? I'm really in this. Oh my gosh, I'm going to horse camp. Like, ah, you know, <laughs> that's when I lost it. It was like, I'm going to horse camp, you know? And that was wild. That was wild because um, I am severely allergic to horses. And I did not oh. want to tell them because I was like, I'm going to get fired. They're going to fire me. So I was like, I'm not going to tell anyone. I'm not going to tell anyone. I'm just going to go to the doctor and get something. <laughs> like, I'll be fine. Um, yeah. So I went to horse camp for a day. That was hilarious. And then like two weeks later, I show up on set and it's like, there's, there's Idris Elba and there's Caleb McLaughlin from Stranger Things. And he plays my son in the movie. And Across the way, there's Method Man. Like, it was just, it was the most ridiculous set of circumstances I have ever been a part of that led me to this moment. And I, <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out exactly how that happened. Um, but suffice it to say, I got to make my film debut as the wife of Idris Elba and the mother of Caleb McLaughlin in a little movie called Concrete Cowboy that... Um, is coming out in like two months or like two or three months. I, I'm assuming I'm hearing early 2021 and a little birdie told me that means January, February. So I don't know. That'd be um, cool. Yeah, I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing that. Me too. Yeah. So, and, and it was, you know, that in and of itself made it really special. The fact that, you know, it was like the culmination of a childhood dream and I'm, I'm working with like one of the biggest stars in the world and it was very cool, but what also made it very special to me was the subject matter in and of itself, which is, um, you know, it's this father-son story. Um, you know, my son is is acting up in, in our home in Detroit, and I just am like, and oh, and also that's when my character changed. Um, they decided to make her um, a professional. They decided to make her a nurse. They took out the whole drug storyline they took out the whole eviction storyline and they just made her a nurse and just a mom who's who's at the end of her rope and doesn't really know what else to do and i was very happy that they took that out um because we've seen that before and i was like i don't know how convincing i am at that anyway um but you know she she just decides i think you need your father's influence in your life. So she drives him um, overnight to basically dump him on his father's doorstep in Philadelphia. But 
what's cool is that, you know, he doesn't know that his, his dad is this leader of a group of black cowboys in Philadelphia. And when I was getting my costume fitting for this movie, I said to the costume person, I was like, so is this a, this is like a fantasy story, right? Like, this isn't real. She's like, no, you need to do some research. And I did a deep dive and turns out the black cowboys are, of Philly are a real thing. It's a real group. And, and I felt such shame because I'm from here, born and raised. I live here and I didn't know that they were real. Like I had no clue. Right. So if I didn't know, that means a lot of people don't know. Well, you can include me in the list of those who didn't know. As a matter of fact, after the first time you and I talked mm -hmm. uh, a week or so back, yeah, I did some Google searching on that. And it's a really cool thing. Um, you know, and I've been to Philly a couple times, clearly, you know, uh, more sightseeing than anything. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I, I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know that that was a possibility of a thing. And yeah. when you described this to me the first time, I have to be honest, I thought that it too was a fantasy style uh, story, you know, yeah. something where somebody just kind of put cowboys in the middle of this urban development <laughs> area. And I'm just like, okay sure yeah <laughs> um <laughs> and then i did some research on it and i'm like you know it's kind of like one of those moments where you're like mind blown yep yeah and uh, yeah it's a really really cool idea uh it would have been a really cool idea for a movie but it's even cooler that it's based in reality yeah i mean i what i hope is that when people see this story and they hear the the story of this group of people that somebody does make a movie just on them because they are fascinating and 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 it's not just philly um it's you know major cities around the country and they've been there since the civil war which makes it even more like oh my gosh how did i that's the cool tie-in yeah yeah um but it's very cool you know in our movie we got to shoot at uh at fletcher street stables which is a real stables here in in north philly and a bunch of their cowboys play cowboys in our movie. And in fact, one of our main roles, um, one of you know my my ex-husband's good friends is a cowboy uh, by the name of Paris. And it's played by an actual cowboy, uh, Mill Prattis, who has never acted a day in his life. You know what I mean? And he's so good. Like he's so... I, I, I'm blown away by this group of people because they are so open and they were so open with all of us. Um, you know, if somebody was in the saddle and they'd be not sitting quite right, they'd be like, uh, no, you got to sit like this. You got to hold the thing like this. Or, yo, you would wear your gloves like this or the hat like this. Or if you do this, that means this. Or, you know, like they were so awesome. That's cool. Keeping on you on this, point. On this thing. Yeah. Make it authentic. And, and, um, yeah, so I'm excited for people just to be like, oh my gosh, that's a real, that's a real place. And, you know, they're losing, they and all the other stables like them, they're losing funding, you know, left and right. And I'm sure the pandemic is not doing them any favors, just like the rest of us. But, um, you know, they really, they exist to really just keep our kids off the streets, give them a place to go and teach them a whole skill. I mean, caring for an animal in and of itself is a skill. But when you're caring for a horse, I mean, and you have to do the whole bit, you got to clean the stalls, you got to clean up the poop, you got to brush down the horse, you got to wash the horses before you ever even get to the stage where you can ride. Right. There's a lot of work know. behind the scenes. Yeah. So I'm like, I just, I think it's such a wonderful, beautiful place that exists right in the heart of our city. It's just another example of, of something else where we've been kind of whitewashed out of the conversation. Um, and movies had a huge part in that. I mean, really, we, we took the, the John Wayne narrative and ran with it and really pushed black cowboys out of the conversation, despite the fact that, you know, the word cowboy is a slave term. And because, you know, it, it comes from slavery, which a lot of people don't know. You know, if you worked, if you worked in the house, you were a house boy. If you worked in the stables, you were a stable boy. If you worked with the cows, you were a cowboy. That's where that word comes from. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, that's where it comes from. And then at one point, 
in history, 75% of all cowboys were black. That's not something we see reflected in movies at all. No, not at all. Yeah, so it's really, I think it's really cool to be able to bring that part of the story back to us a little bit and to show like, no, we've been here all along. We just haven't been represented. Oh, and that's then cool, have, I like that. Yeah, and then to have someone as big and as famous as Idris Elba behind it, you know, portraying one of these guys. I mean, you really can't ask for a better phenomenal actor. Yeah, I mean, come on. And love his you know, stuff. He was he was so gracious and wonderful. And you know, somebody asked me, I mean, multiple people have asked me, they're like, oh my gosh, what was it like? I'm like, you know, he just Elba is exactly as charming and as awesome and as like good looking and all of that as you think he is. Which makes it harder to love him in some ways because you're just like, where is your foster? Where? Um, no, he's he's like one of the kindest, most decent people I've ever had the pleasure of having a conversation with. And I'm just like, dang, that's like, cool. You're awesome. And that's cool. He really he has been really um championing this community and what they stand for. And I'm so happy that that he has become in in many ways a voice for them i'm really happy about that because in a lot of ways you can't ask for any a, a better person to be your spokesperson you know what i mean so um no yeah, I, that's that's I, about as a-list as you get yeah yeah exactly exactly so yeah oh, cool he's, he's awesome. yeah so I'm, I'm i'm excited to see that movie come out i'm excited to <laughs> to uh to see you know see how it gets portrayed and and everything else um but let's, uh, you know, we're getting close to our time here, but let's, let's talk real quick um, about, uh, you know, the, the, the theme of our show is focused on forward. And one of the things that we like to make sure of, of is we talked briefly about um, some of your challenges and the, some of the things that you've had to overcome. Mm -hmm. um, but looking back on your life, and this is something I ask every single guest. Sure. Um, Looking back over your life's experiences, and not to minimize it down to one sentence or saying, but what's the single greatest thing that you have learned throughout your journey? The thing that resonates with you from day to day that helps keep you moving forward? I honestly think for me, it's, 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 it's as simple as keep moving forward no matter how long it takes because i have been there have been many points um in the last 25 years because if you add all of this up it's been about 25 26 years that i've been per pursuing a film career um and there have been many many times along that journey where you know i've been fleeced out of money i've been promised parts that never came to fruition. Um, I've lost out on what I thought were dream roles. Um, I haven't, there've have been times where I've wanted to do something and I couldn't afford to do it because I was like, it's either that or, or eat. You know what I mean? Um, and there, yeah, in all of those situations, there were, there was a point where I thought, you know, maybe I can't do this or maybe I shouldn't do this or, you know, maybe this no longer makes sense. Um, maybe I don't have what it takes, or maybe this is just not meant for me, <clears throat> excuse me. But in each of those moments, I've had another moment where I've thought, but I wouldn't feel this way about this, this strongly, this passionate, this, you know, this, this connected to this, if it wasn't meant for me, or if I didn't, if it wasn't meant to be in my life in some way. So I can either choose now to just hang it up and find something else, or, <clears throat> excuse me, or I can recognize the fact that this is something I've been passionate about since I was a kid. And if I still feel that passion, then that that's significant. So don't give up even if it's going to take you a long time. And, you know, here I am 25, 26 years later about to debut a film with Idris Elba. I mean, like that's, that's no small potatoes. You know what I mean? Um, 
So yeah, I, I think for me anyway, it's something as simple as that. Like, yeah, if, if you're passionate about something, I mean, really, if that's the thing that drives you, you're going to get there. And it may take 20 years, 25, 30 years. It may take a long time. It may happen overnight. But if, if it's for you, then it's for you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, absolutely. No, I think that's great. Yeah. So I don't know. For me, that that's it's it's just as simple as that. I, no, very you know, solid advice. Very yeah. solid. Okay. And speaking of advice, a secondary question I like to ask. Uh, now, clearly, throughout your many years of, of getting to the point where you're at, you have been given lots of advice about lots of different things. <laughs> now, I have two. I have a saying in life, and that's that's you know, if somebody asked me that question, I just asked you my question. My response would be to keep focused on forward, to keep moving forward. It's very similar to what you just said. Yeah. But I also have a piece of advice that I carry in my back pocket with me. Uh, something somebody told me when I was 16, um, and I, my kids are probably sick of me saying it to them. Uh, but I always tell them, it's not. it doesn't matter how you fall, it's that you get back up. Mm. And that's the advice that I was given at 16, 17. I was pretty in a pretty dark place at that point in my life. And, yeah. and uh, somebody gave me that advice. And it's always just kind of resonated with me, always stuck back there. So separate from your life motto, what's the one piece of advice that you have been given that always resonates with you, always seems to come back up? It's funny because I don't know if this counts as advice, but I heard somebody say this. So <clears throat> back when I was you know, working all the different jobs and I was trying to figure out how to just put food on the table and all this. I, and, and this goes back to how I was in school. I was a horrible student in school and not because I wasn't smart. It was because I could not make myself sit down and do my homework. And then when it came to working all those jobs, there were times where I was just like, I cannot make myself go in today. Like, I don't want to do this. And it would always come down to, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to, uh, I don't feel like it. Uh, my laziness. And I remember, I think it was B. Arthur on an episode of the Golden Girls. This is so random. But Love there's it. an episode where, um, yeah, in fact, it's Blanche's nephew who's come to visit. And he's getting ready to run away in the middle of the night. And B. Arthur stops him. And he's like, I don't, you know, he's basically saying, oh, I've got all this stuff to do. And I just don't feel like doing any of it. And she was just like, you want to run away because you have crappy stuff to do? Everyone has crappy stuff to do. The president has crappy stuff to do. And I just remember thinking like, oh. That's so true. We all have to do crappy stuff. And it doesn't mean you have to do it all the time. It just means right now, like for the next two hours, I've got crappy stuff to do. So I've got to go do it. I don't know why, but anytime when I'm procrastinating or feeling lazy or feeling just like, you know, uh, oh, there's a job I should take, but I don't want to take it because oh, it's crappy. It all, I, it's First thing I always think of is even the president has crappy stuff to do, but it just means you still have to do it. Right. You know what I mean, to get to the next thing that you want to do, you got to do the crappy stuff first. Well, I think that's great advice, but I think it's even better that it's from the Golden Girls. So. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, that's great. I think that's wonderful. Uh, so, yeah. So, so keep moving forward and. Put up with your stuff, even if you got crappy stuff. You do. do. Everyone has. I crappy think that's stuff great. Yeah, yeah. Well, very cool. So, all right. So, let's look forward to. Uh, what's the name of the movie again? Concrete Cowboy. Concrete Cowboy. All right. Well, we're going to look forward to that. Hopefully, early 2021, and yes. hopefully, uh, it's uh, all our theaters are opened back up and people have worn masks and kept themselves safe, and you know we can hopefully kiss this. Oh, this one's going to be on Netflix. It's gonna be so on Netflix. All, all right. will have an opportunity to see it. It's it's even better. Be made easier for you. Even better. All right, folks, re-up your Netflix accounts and make sure Come they're on, good. Netflix. All right. Well, cool beans. Well, thank you so much, Liz, for being on today. I, I think your story is actually it's very refreshing. It's a very down to earth, very, very uh, everyday story for that. You know, it, 
people I think will be able to identify this with this because it's not necessarily the fact that we're all actors, right? Clearly, we're not. <laughs> but you know, having to you know chase your life dream and 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 the highs and the lows that come with that. So thank you for sharing those and being so open with us today. Thank you very much, and keep doing this show because we need more shows like this where we talk about these kinds of things without oh, thank you. stigma attached. So I really appreciate it. And I'm glad you asked me to be here. Oh, yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm thrilled it. to have had you. All right, folks. I think that's going to conclude us today for Focused on Forward. Well, that concludes another episode of Focused on Forward. To be a guest of Focused on Forward, you can reach us through Twitter at podcast FOF, through our Facebook page named Focused on Forward, or through email focusedonforward at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing each and every one of your stories that has yet to be told. So until then, be safe, be kind, and be loving to one another as you stay focused on forward.